Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had, if you wanted to touch on the Uvalde game, if that was special, I don't know. I guess they, they mentioned the Bregman thing yesterday. Uh, that's Astros. We don't talk about Tatis Jr. I thought would be applicable. The Dodgers yes. cannot lose. I mean, it's so funny. I'm trying not to watch the Dodgers, as you know. And I'm like, dude, did mm-hmm. they win again? They won again. Oh, my God, they won again. It's they hard won to take again. your eyes off them. Oh, my God. I mean, you just look the other way. They won 10 in a row. They did lose yesterday, so I don't know if that... And then the cell phone in the pocket, that's kangaroo court. I thought that was the funniest video I've ever seen. Dude, that's what the hell was the he CBA. Doing? That's what against the doing? rules and, like, who the yeah. freak knows, but we could... Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's a good topic. I want to hear you go oh, off on man. that. You already went off on that, your faith. And then you and your wife posted from the drive. I thought it was great because I don't even enter the musical uh, genres with my wife oh, that man. I have on my car going to the gym. And Corey did a really good job of accepting you. And I'm like, I just don't even go there. Because when <laughs> when Addie and the kids get out of the car, the only time it happens is when I get back in the car and everyone's piling in and I turn on the car and the music's going, going crazy. Like, what, what are you listening to? I'm like, hey, don't worry about it. It's my car. Why don't there was you no one shut in your yap and sit down? No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I said it. So anyway, so those were, I wrote all that stuff down. That's what I got. No, I'm glad you wrote that down. I've just been busy with uh, yeah, busy with the Astros. This is the Bleachers. We are the Bleacher oh. Blums podcast. I am Jeff Blum. Uh, a little peek behind the scenes is in our quote unquote green room as we hash out some ideas. Tuttle is all over it. He's had. Uh, work going, kids going. I know it's becoming the first week of school. I'm dropping my oldest daughter off at uh, college. She's going to the University of Arkansas, and uh, a lot of drama involved in that situation, but there's a lot going on. And I know that uh, Tuttle, my co-host on this Bleacher Blums podcast, does a very good job of accruing content for us and and sparking interest and ideas and uh you know poking the bear and i think that you know for saint arnold what's on tap uh tuttle's going to help me out on this because i think the one thing that we were talking about that he brought up was fernando tatis jr i think that's a very interesting topic uh and then we have a a player with an actual cell phone in his pocket so i hope that uh, john boy gets all over that and tries to figure out what why that Buzz, why it was on vibrate in his back pocket <laughs> while he was running around the bases. Uh, what else we got, Tuttle? Um, you know, I thought the Uvalde game yesterday was great. Um, we've joked yeah. about Seinfeld on here before. Um, you know, hey, Kramer asking uh, uh, Paul O'Neill to hit a couple home runs, but uh, it looks like Bregman was asked to do so. I think he was smart enough not to promise it, but um, it looked like there was some sort of. Um, I don't know, sentiment and some sort of goodwill yeah. tied to that. So uh, along with the healing process. So I thought that was fantastic. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, musical taste, you know, familial musical taste between <laughs> spouses, I thought was good. Yeah. But I think we should start. I mean, that's kind of what's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold. Um, we should start where, um, you know, you mentioned uh, that I come up with content here. You do have a, a another platform. We're just kind of expanding the podcast platform. And I thought so that everybody knows that you and I are still you know, good friends, high and tight here. Uh, Always will just, be. Yeah, I know. So, but just maybe um, talk about the the new podcast and how you think it'll be a little bit different than this. And then, you know, then we could just jump into everything else. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that up, and I appreciate you being a friend, and I know that uh, Mark is in on this too. So, you know, this is something that I brought to you guys, and I was offered an opportunity through the uh, Players Association, Alumni Association, to co-host a Astro-centric, Astro-primary uh, podcast on the Believe Network, the B-L-E-A-V Network, and I jumped at the opportunity. I just figured more exposure is better, and uh, it, it's strictly Astros, so it's something that's in my wheelhouse that I know that uh, I can speak freely about and have some good input on. My co-host is Jeff with a J Balky, and our first podcast seemed to go pretty well. But I know that it, uh, you know, the more exposure and the more opportunity we have to promote our podcast on Bleacher Blums, which I got to do on the other podcast, nice. was pretty cool. But it's also another network; it's another avenue, and I think you know as well as I do, keeping opportunities open and keeping that exposure out there maybe lends itself to another opportunity down the road to uh, get us more listeners. So. Uh, maybe some of his listeners come over to the Bleacher Blums side. Maybe some of the Bleacher Blums go over to that side. But uh, no, the Bleacher Blums is where my heart's at. That's that's a little more of a business end type situation, talking about the Astros and helping out the union and getting uh, you know some of the exposure into Major League Baseball and more specifically the Astros. So I appreciate the shout out. I will not. I am not leaving the Bleacher Blums podcast. This is where this is my passion. This is my heart. These are my boys. Well, I appreciate that. And the reason I did bring it up is just for that. So you may, you know, we may, I don't know about changing the platform, but we may talk less Astros and more uh, diversity on this podcast. And I think it'll be, uh, like you said, it'll be well-received by fans and certainly well-received by me. I don't don't know if I have a governor on, but maybe- uh, Yeah, maybe maybe we we expose ourselves a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Maybe we take the governor off both sides and we don't (laughs) have to worry about the Astros component of it. Um, So speaking of not Astros, the Padres were in the news the last week. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think these things are old news because typically you and I talk about issues, rhymes with Mirius issues, serious issues around the game. <laughs> and the Padres kind of went out and sold the farm. We know they have a couple of the largest contracts in baseball with Machado and Tatis. And I know they offloaded um, uh, the first baseman, but they grabbed Soto yeah. and they have him under control. Why can't Hosmer I going that? to Thank uh, you. Boston. Hosmer had a big deal too, you know, a, a six-figure, yeah. nine-figure deal. So, you know, they've done some tweaking, but they all they did it all to, I'm assuming, get Fernando Tatis Jr. back into the fold um, to have, you know, really the 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 Bash Brothers or whatever you want to call them. I mean, I can't. Mm-hmm. I guess we haven't come up with a name yet, and we can't come up with a name because they will not be in the lineup together for the foreseeable future. Fernando Tatis Jr. was popped for steroids, which he said was in a ringworm medicine, which <laughs> I've never I've never taken a ringworm medicine. So I, I guess I wouldn't know. What are you more um, shocked at? Are you more shocked that he had that he that he took the the, t- the you know the the PED or are you shocked that he actually had ringworm? I was like, wait, ringworms? People still yeah, get ringworm? that? Like, yeah, where how do you get that? Right? It's kind of like down here we had the anti-vaccination crowd for a long time and uh the uh, the polio started to sprout up again. You know, it's like wait, I thought <laughs> we cured real? polio in the 1900s. It's like, like dang man. So there are certain uh, we just certain, passed COVID and now we got to worry about ringworm. Jeez. Yeah, seriously. So anyway, and I think I, I touched on this with you before, but we know guys that take PEDs and um, maybe think they can skirt the issue of the test, and then there's you know, well, the tainted supplement thing. But you know darn well that they're you, you know you're completely responsible for what you put in your body and. I think for a $300 million contract, 
it it kind of for me loses the excuse of I'm an ultimate competitor. I'm whatever. You know this in baseball, football. There's not a lot of guaranteed money unless your name's Deshaun Watson. Um, there's not a lot of guaranteed money in contracts. And, and I just think once you sign that $300 million contract, you've made it, you've made the big leagues. You're going to be there. You're going to get your 10 years. You're going to get all the stuff that you need to get unless you, uh, ruin it. And so I think it puts you in a comfort level that many guys in our profession don't ever get to, especially myself. And it's obviously more than disappointing. And I think the word coming out of San Diego is like, well, it's disappointing and it's frustrating. And, you know, how did this happen? But, uh, but what, you know, I'm, I, I'm sure you have some thoughts on it. And so maybe uh, that was me taking the governor off. Let's see wh- what we can get into. I just think it's amazing. Like to your point, you know, the, the fact that uh, you sign a $300 million contract, you, you take the accountability and responsibility of having that contract and, Yes, it's heavy, it's weighty, and the expectations there, as it should be. I, I'm not going to feel sorry for him. Uh, the fact that he went out there and did this, I know he was trying to recover and get back on the field and help this team produce. Um, let's go piece by piece. So I think that the I think the Padres knew about this earlier than it was reported. The reason I say that is because they emptied their farm system to get guys like Juan Soto. They got Josh Hader. They got considerably better. And I wonder if knowing that the suspension was coming encouraged them to go out there and get these guys to compensate for not having Fernando Tatis for 80 games or whatever it is. Now, talking about the contract, it's it's very backloaded. So in the first couple of years, it's you know two, three, four million a year as opposed to being that $30, $40 million a year that he eventually will get to. So he in those 80 games, I think he eventually just loses $1.2 million, which is amazing to me because he will accrue the rest of the of the cash that's in there in that guaranteed contract that Tuttle's talking about. And then how come there's no protection? This is probably my biggest question. How come there's no protection? The only protection in these contracts is that 80 game suspension. You don't have to pay the you don't have to pay the player during the suspension. But what I mean by is how come there's no protection? What if he does it again? He just doesn't make the money for you know 100 days or 160 days, whatever the suspension is. How come there isn't a clause in that contract? And I know there's player conduct and things like that that you can maybe go through, but why isn't there a clause in that contract that seriously discourages these guys from doing things like taking steroids that lead to suspensions, that lead to hurting your team, that lead to you, you know you know voiding a contract? I don't understand that part. Do you have any thoughts on the con- just the contractual part of it? Like there should be a stipulation in there, or do you just say, we like the player, we know he's fantastic, we'll take the hit for 80 games not having him on the field, and we'll just deal with him the rest of the way and because we think he's so talented? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Well, I think it's funny because we all have insurance in our own life, right? You have like homeowner's insurance <laughs> and you have car insurance, which uh, you kind of uh, had a good experience with recently. I don't know if we need Oof, to get into hope. that. but yeah, We're in the yeah, process. So, <laughs> yeah, so insurance is something that most people have. And this is kind of, it'd be interesting to hear from the fans on this, bleacherblums.com and at yeah. Real David Tuttle or at Blummer27 because I just think, this is where the entitlement piece kind of comes in. We joke about the GP and some of the privileges we have and being in front of the fans, but you know, it's always the big bad owners, you know, the owners this and the owners that and the commissioner and the owners are in cahoots. And it's funny because I think you and I both being former players um, and you a member of the union, um, 
it's, I mean, we are pro as pro player as it gets, but there has to be yeah. now that you're out of the game and now you're seeing the whole business of it. There has to be some, you know. I remember, uh, and uh, and I'll get back to the the question. Matt Williams hit a tree on a on a snowmobile when uh, when he was playing, and he had just signed a five year deal, and back then it was a huge deal, and they were talking about uh, taking some of his contract back. I don't know if they ever did or if they were able to take something out, but I think to your point. When it's, you know, an accident, you know, I mean, Tatis broke his wrist on a motorcycle. I think Matt Williams hit a tree on a, on a, oh, Jeff on Kent a, did. um, uh, yeah, no. And Matt Williams did too. Matt Williams hit a tree. Yeah. On Jeff a Kent, uh, remember Aaron Boone had a, had a huge thing. He had a big contract with the Yankees, blew his ACL. They, they took the contract away. That's right. So they did take that away, but this I is, guess I'm this saying is kind of similar. Right. It is similar, but I'm even giving them the benefit of the doubt. So yeah. like if you hit a tree on a snowmobile during the off season, that's just bad luck. And you're like, okay, maybe we work out something. But if you take a PED, you consciously take a PED and you know, you're being drug tested. That's the point. Yeah. Maybe the insurance is, okay, he suspended these 80 games. It was a mistake or whatever. But, but the second time, like you said, I think that's even a more important question. If he does it again, and it's a front loaded contract, I mean, he could get Let's say he could get $180 million of this deal, $200 million of this deal when he's kind yeah, of done playing. Yeah, there's no consequence playing. in the first couple no. of years of the contract. That's right. And I and I, and I I do think now, like you said, we understand the totality of the business. I, I think it's something that if they don't have a guarantee there, it's something they could certainly pursue legally. And it's certainly something that they could look into. Um, now, again, if they think he's a fantastic player, it's only 80 games. You know, he's missing this year, a little bit of next year, and maybe he comes back, you know, like gangbusters and everybody, the ship gets righted. But I do think it goes to the, it kind of supports the piece of entitlement. Like this guy, he broke his wrist yeah. on a motorcycle. He took PEDs. He's not going to play this year. And he's collecting a lot of money, front-loaded or not. It's very uh, disheartening, to say the least. And he's got a lot of ground to make up. And I do think now, like you said, we, we're done playing the game, that maybe if you got into the business side of it, you look at it like, hey, you know, maybe we got to put some more guarantees or some escalators in this contract where we can you know, recoup some investment because we do want to put a championship mm -hmm. club on the field and that goes to the Padres not having played well either since the trade, which is really interesting. Hater's done well, but Soto and um, some of the other guys haven't really, you know, stepped up and done probably what the Padres thought they yeah. would do. And then, of course, the Dodgers are running away with it. My question to you was, um, why do you think the Padres knew about this, right? What we hear publicly, and I know you kind of gained some insight behind the scenes. What we heard publicly was they found out on Friday, they called Tatis on Saturday, or they found out on Wednesday, called Tatis, he confirmed it, and then they went public. Like why, what makes well, you think that they knew earlier? This is this is why hopefully you listen to the Bleacher Blumps podcast because you're going to get a little <laughs> behind the scenes. And now that I'm out of the game and maybe divulging too much information, but I've played on teams where guys were – were, were that got negative tests. They were going through the process of of trying to figure out what it was because you do have an opportunity if they you if they have that positive. Test. Yeah, if they have a positive oh. test, they have the opportunity in a PED situation or you know I've played long enough to to be tested for PEDs and be tested for amphetamines. Amphetamines were a big one. You know, greenies that everybody talks about. Um, which were super beneficial at times, I will admit. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those were good. But I, I knew that there were guys, you know, I knew of guys 
and that were that you pop positive on the test, and then you have the opportunity to not uh, uh, not appeal it, but you have a chance to explain yourself, let's say, uh, or offer an explanation, and then they will judge the suspension off of that also. And you have an opportunity to go out there and say, "Hey, I was doing this, I was doing that, it was wrong," and uh, you have a couple of weeks before you do that. I. In my experience, I don't know what if this is exactly what happened with San Diego, but in my personal experience in some of these situations, the player, the agent, the team, and Major League Baseball knew weeks in advance of the announcement of the suspension. That's why I said what I said earlier about them maybe making some of these trades and going to get those guys. Um, but getting back to Fernando Tatis, uh, you know, what <sighs> – there are so many weapons, so many assets inside an organization that you can bring. I could bring a bottle off the street that I bought from a guy on the corner, and I can bring it to the trainer in Houston, and I can say, "Hey, is this? Can I take this without getting in trouble?" He'll take it. They'll test it. They'll look it up on the list. They'll figure it out. They'll hand it back to you and say, "Yes, you can take this. No, you cannot take this because of this." So that I, I don't like that excuse because there are no more excuses in that sense because PEDs carry such a heavy suspension and heavy consequence that you better be asking questions before you go out there. There's people that will help the player make decisions on what to take and what not to take. So that's just kind of thrown out the window. But what shocked me about the whole situation is the reaction from his teammates. There were a lot of people out there saying, man, he's got to grow up. He's He can't keep doing this. I don't know what any of that means. I don't, I'd have to do a little more investigating. But were you as shocked by what his teammates were saying? Even Bob Melvin was kind of disappointed. We talked about that. But I was surprised to hear his teammates being so vocal about saying, hey, man, this guy needs to grow up, take responsibility if we're going to be uh, playing together. You know what's funny? Surprising may not be the word. I, I, what it harkens back to me, and you and I have been in plenty of clubhouses. Is uh, Josh Donaldson? Remember, I said the reason that he came out and said what he did was because in his own clubhouse there was some dissension, meaning he realized that he was in the wrong, and his teammates let him know. Now, different than a brawl where you're like, "Hey, we got your back, buddy," and this is how things go. That to me speaks volumes of the kind of guy Tatis is while he's rehabbing, what he's doing when he's around the clubhouse, because it's not all about the PDs, but it's like, what's he doing? You know, it sounded when, like a character know, issue. Exactly. Meaning he's not doing all the things that he needs to be doing, um, to be a professional and be buttoned up. And, you know, there are guys that have had issues before, um, and everybody kind of knew they had issues. They were doing things, but most of those things were done away from the field. You would have to kind of trick into it. But Tatis mm -hmm. down here, I mean, you know, you you grew up down here. San Diego's not that far. And, I, you know, I just, I haven't heard the issues, but I think to your point, with Bob Melvin and with uh, with the teammates coming out, I think um, I think there's definitely some... Uh, there's definitely some challenges. So, what did Bob Melvin say? That was I want. We can the same thing. He was just disappointed. He goes, "We're yeah. trying to you know build a championship team. We need everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, just all the standard stuff." But you could yeah. kind of read between the lines where these guys were just like, "What the freak, yeah. man!" I think that's enough on Fernando Tatis. I think we're going to throw it to a sponsor right now. Brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. 
Welcome back to the Bleacher Blumps podcast. Thank you to the Blue Wire Podcast Network for the sponsors. And guess what? We've got something special for you right now. Considering we're all on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, we have got the Sox Machine. They cover the White Sox. We've got Jim and Josh. We're going to have a quick interview with them talking about some of the uh, White Sox issues. And we're going to we're going to do our best to handle Tuttle's issues with Larusa. Enjoy the listen. Welcome back to the Bleachers. We have got a special opportunity. This is a big week for the Astros. They're going on the road again. And this is another one of those road trips where we talked about the Astros having a, a real opportunity to find some competition and see how they measure up. We saw it earlier when they went to New York, played the Mets, played the Yankees. But uh, this is down the stretch. We're in the middle of, middle of August, and they are headed to the White Sox. They're going to play the White Sox for four games, and then they have the Atlanta Braves for three. But we have the opportunity here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network to bring in our fellas from the South Side who talk about the White Sox, and we'll let them talk a little bit about their their podcast, pump it a little bit before we get into the mix. But I want to welcome in Jim and Josh from the White Sox Podcast. How are you guys doing, and what's up? We're doing great, and it's uh, great to talk to you. Yes, and uh, I, I think for White Sox fans, these four, these four games, Monday through Thursday against Houston, will go a long way to decide as far as their mood in the White Sox chase of the American League Central and making the American League postseason. There's good vibes this morning while we talk. Will those good vibes still exist after Thursday? Uh, we'll we'll see. So th- there is hope in, in the White Sox world because I know, and talking to Tuttle when we started our podcast uh, to begin the season, I had my eyes on the White Sox because on paper to begin the season, they had to be the heavy favorite in the American League Central. It's an interesting division to say the least. You've got the Guardians going after it. The Minnesota Twins are playing well and made some big moves at that trade deadline. But why Why do you, you seem like you're hopeful during this week and down the stretch that they've got a chance to sneak in, not just to a wild card, but maybe a potential AL Central pennant. Why is that? Okay. I think eventually the White Sox offense has to wake up. And we say this in the month of August when Jose Abreu, for everyone outside of Chicago, maybe the most respected White Sox player and maybe most feared White Sox player on this roster, especially offensively, always has big August. And when you look at the young talent, like Aloy Jimenez and Andrew Vaughn, yes, the White Sox are dealing with some injuries with Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, not in the lineup. But there's still enough firepower in this lineup to generate better run support than they've been given to the starting rotation. It's been very inconsistent all season long. And if they could just be a little bit more consistent in scoring four or more runs a game, I think that could go a long way in the White Sox chances of catching the Guardians and Twins because what's helping the White Sox as of late is that the starting rotation is finally finding their groove. Dylan Cease is right there in the conversation for American League Scion, maybe a couple steps behind Justin Verlander, but he is having a breakout season. Lance Lynn, you know, the veteran, everybody knows him very well, especially out of Houston. You guys hit him very well, it seems like, all the time. But Lynn is starting to find his footing after injury. Lucas Giolito is starting to find better success after disastrous June. You got Michael Kopech, who's got great stuff, and he's demonstrated a few times this season. And the Wiley veteran, 
Johnny Cueto still getting the job done, even though he's not striking out a lot of batters these days. He throws five to six different pitches in every single start to keep hitters off balance. If the offense could just be more consistent, there's enough pitching from the White Sox that, yes, they should eventually overcome Cleveland and Minnesota, but the offense, again, their inconsistent play is the reason why the White Sox are still tied for second place. I disagree a little bit and say the White Sox offense is pretty consistent. They've just been consistent in not scoring. I think that's a, <laughs> really been the issue. And it's created like a little bit of a whack-a-mole situation throughout the year where like they'd have a great game, but then the uh, starting pitching would fall flats. Or it happened to be a case where the high leverage guys in the bullpen were worked on back-to-back-to-back days. So they had to go to somebody they didn't trust and that didn't work out. So it's been a matter of like bad sequencing throughout the year. But now, as Josh mentioned, the pitching has finally been stable. They have probably about five guys they trust in the seventh inning onwards as opposed to two and a half uh, over the first uh, couple months. So it really is all about the offense. And unfortunately for the White Sox, uh, fortunately for the Astros, like uh, when you have good right hand pitching, they still struggle against good righties, especially, you know, anybody with a sinker slider, anybody who can, you know, manipulate the ball running arm side and glove side gives them problems. So that's really like the last frontier for the White Sox to conquer. But it's been a problem all season, then even going back to last season as well. I was going to say who doesn't throw sinker slider these days. So it's kind of like, oh, there there you go. (laughs) Here goes, here comes another sinker slider guy. Oh shit, we're in trouble. But I I had a couple questions on that. So one is Tim Anderson's one of my favorite players outside of, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a homer for anybody. I'm not an Astros, White Sox. I'm more of a Giants guy. He's speaking for both of us. We've talked about Tim Anderson. We love him as a player. Yeah. He's one of my favorites, but you know, it's funny. I, from afar, I read the article where it was like, all right, he got his appeal knocked down from three to two. And then he went on the IL for six weeks like, oh, all right. So he's going to be out for a while. So um, I think obviously getting him back will bring some consistency, even though I know he's been in the lineup most of the year. My my thought is, and you guys, I don't want to take us too far off track, is that you guys have to lug Tony LaRusso and his 80-year-old ass everywhere. <laughs> and I want to know your thoughts from you know outside the game. Um, I really like the GM, Rick Hahn, and there's guys there that uh, you know know what they're doing. But I want to know what you think Tony LaRusso's influence is in the clubhouse and the dugout pro con or just, you know, just being a figurehead because Blum and I talk about all the time, pitching and defense is going to get you to where you need to go. And so, like you said, consistently better offense would just be icing on the cake. But what, what about our, our manager and, and does he have the uh, ability to take you guys there? There's not a whole lot of faith and you know, you know, it's not great when NBC Sports Chicago, they cut to the dugout and they caught him looking (laughs) like he might be nodding off a little bit uh, before the game, like as it's about to start and the response from, uh, uh, you know, when Steve Stone was asked about it uh, on one of his radio spots, he said, well, maybe they shouldn't be showing the dugout. And now they don't show the dugout nearly as much or they show the players and you just don't know, like, is he looking not great? Like, like basically it creates a situation where you don't know if like they're, you know, you're constantly on the lookout to prove a negative or, or something like that. So it's, that's, that's kind of where we're at right now in terms of just like the impact. It's, it's easy to forget about them until you can't just because like, you know, there's, it's a, you know, whether it's a a post-game quote or something like that, he's not a dynamic presence. The presence is mostly, uh, a negative. I think the players have done a pretty good job in terms of like not, you know, saying the right things and, um, you know, not, 
not indulging any storylines or narratives and not feeding the beast, but I think there's just a lot of fodder on its own just because he really is not uh, dynamic. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, Jim. There's a good example over this weekend. Saturday night, it's a one-run game, and the Detroit Tigers put in Andrew Chafin, a very effective left-handed reliever, and Gavin Sheets is up to bat a left-handed hitter who's not very good defensively. And on the bench, you got Adam Engel, who's very good defensively, and he's at his best against left-handed pitching. Tony LaRusa did not pinch hit Adam Engel for Gavin Sheets. And then after Gavin Sheets struck out, which everybody knew that was going to be the case, he replaces Gavin Sheets with Adam Engel. And I'm sitting there just confused. Like, what is going on here? It seemed very clear to have Adam Engel pinch hit for Gavin Sheets. And you know we were sold a bill of goods that this is one of the greatest thinkers in Major League Baseball history that will be managing your team after Rick, Ricky Renteria. And the thing is, we haven't seen a lot of great decision-making from Tony La Russa in the two years. And all those skeptics who say and question, has the game passed Tony La Russa by? If you're away from anything for 10 years, like I don't really ride bikes other than it's by Peloton. If you gave me a bike, <laughs> I haven't rode a bike in like 15 years. I would probably stumble and fall into the curb because I only know how to cycle on the Peloton, <laughs> not an actual bike because I haven't done it for so long. Uh, so I, it's been, I think it's been too long for Tony to be an effective manager at this stage. And all we ask is please do not trip over this team. Please don't make a managerial decision when the game is tight, that will cost the white Sox the, the outcome of that game. And there is the possibility, and you guys know this well, that players could play so well that a manager could just be on autopilot. And that's what we ask the White Sox players to do. Play so well so Tony the Rooster does not need to make a critical decision <laughs> in the eighth or ninth inning. It's actually interesting that you do bring that up because we've got Dusty Baker here in Houston, and there was a lot of comments, you know, has the game passed him by? Obviously, the situation that he came into, there was a purpose to a Dusty Baker move because he could be, a, you know, be the new face of the franchise, kind of change the narrative a little bit and handle some of the tough situations that they were going to be in. And uh, he got handed the keys to the Ferrari. And that's what I feel like Tony La Russa got too. He got keys to a Ferrari. It's just don't grind the gears and, and bottom that thing out. Just let it run as good as it can. Yeah, I think, you know, the difference with Dusty Baker, and I remember that coming up during the ALDS last year, is that Dusty was always engaged in the game. I mean, leading up to this job at the Astros, like even when he was, uh, you know, unemployed for a bit, like he still wanted back in. He was still on top of yep. things. And most of his reputation stems from that, uh, you know, that uh, disastrous Cubs postseason appearance so like Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor runs guys in the ground and he evolved over the course of time with the Reds and Nationals he never quite got credit for it so it's kind of cool to see him uh being able to uh, address some of the history now or at least uh, help people update the resumes but it always seemed like he wanted back in and he did what he could to remain relevant whereas LaRusso was out of it for 10 years and you know he should be out of it I mean he's a, he's a hall of famer like he's uh yeah. you know he was third on the all-time managerial wins list. Now he's second. Like he has nothing left to prove. So, you know, there's no harm in like taking a back seat and, and taking some advisory jobs. But, you know, I, I, I think the story was he had hip surgery and all of a sudden that gave him a new lease on life and he wanted back in because he could be a lot more active than he used to be. And so, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf gave him the job, but there wasn't any evidence that like he was 
still really wanting a job and would manage anywhere. Whereas Dusty, I think, would he would have taken a yes. lot of jobs. Maybe not like rock bottom jobs, but he would have, you know, uh, been happy to prove himself in most places. Whereas Larusa just kind of got gifted this job, and uh, it kind of shows in the effort and engagement. And I and and I I well I shouldn't say I didn't want to bring us off track, but that's the you can go back and listen to our podcast about eighteen months ago, two years ago, and um, Jeff and I have been around the game a while, and we know Tony Larusa and we know his history, and we said that then, and we're kind of saying the same thing now, and it's a little disheartening to be honest with you to talk to you guys from the south side, and you guys feel the same way because I was hoping you'd be like, hey, well, no, there is hope here, and you know he is still pretty sharp. That's just the outside perception is different but you know i see a joe biden interview and i see a tony larusa interview and i don't see a lot of differences there in terms of age and sharpness whereas dusty baker there was a new valdi um uh uh thing last night at the astros game and they invited all the fans and dusty baker spoke to them before the game and really sharp really engaged and it's just a little disappointing because as we started out this podcast saying, the, Astro, the Astros obviously have high hopes for the playoffs, as do the White Sox. And it, I think he's not just gotten the keys to the Ferrari and not trying to grind the gears. I think he might be grinding the gears a little bit. And it's really disheartening to say. So, you know, we give you guys our best as they go on the journey. But I do think it's a difficult situation. <laughs> How much is Joe Espada helping Dusty Baker? when he arrived to, to Houston? This, this is a great question, and you guys know as well as I do uh, that Joe Espada is one of those names that keeps popping up when you talk about managerial opportunities because he, he's got uh, you know some pedigree working with uh, you know Joe Girardi in New York. He's been a third-base coach. He's been a bench coach. He was a bench coach for A.J. Hinch when A.J. came over here and was able to establish his staff, so he made it a point to bring in a guy like Joe Espada. He's bilingual. He's Puerto Rican. He's got that fire and the knowledge of the game, but he also has a very good understanding of a lot of the analytics, and I think when Dusty Baker took over the job here with Houston, instead of funneling a lot of the analytics through A.J. Hinch, who was the manager at the time, now with Dusty in charge, it's funneling through Joe Espada. So Joe has done a really good job of taking a lot of the information from the front office and filtering it into that clubhouse. But he's done a very good job of also filtering it to Dusty Baker, trying to enhance what he's trying to do. But, uh, you know, that's kind of the beauty of what Dusty has here, too, is he's got Josh Miller, who, you know, kind of tutelage, you know, was tutored by Brent Strom. The these guys have a very good understanding and handle on the personnel that they're working with. And he's Joe Spot has been a very good conduit between player and manager. And I think that's really kind of enhanced why, you know, the, the Astros organization and why they're in the position they're in right now. You need that good support staff. And Dusty has a great guy on Joe Spot. He's been amazing. I love that question. I all right, Jim, I'm sold. So that's who I want to replace Tony. Oh, Lewis, you guys so are gonna steal that, him. <laughs> mark that down. Sox Machine Podcast in the offseason. That's who I want managing the White Sox. Uh, the points that you make, I mean, he not only has the knowledge of how the Yankees operate, but how the Astros operate. And whether you like it or not, if your favorite team resides in the American League, you're gonna have to go through New York or Houston in order to make it to the World Series. Not just this year, but for the upcoming years as well. So to to steal from that brain trust would be would be fantastic because we get this question all the time, especially when we do our radio hits in Chicago. All right, you guys don't want Tony Larusa's manager. Mm-hmm. Who would you want to replace him? Joe Espada is very high on my list as a possible White Sox managerial. That candidate. would just require the White Sox to have anything resembling a normal managerial search, which they haven't had since two thousand four. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, I think you're safe. <laughs> you know what's great about that too is uh, you know being here with the Houston Astros and how good they've draft not drafted. I know the international draft is coming, but how good they've been at getting international talent here, developing it, and having it produced in the big leagues is something very similar that I see with the Chicago White Sox. Obviously, you know, with my connection with them, I've been able to watch them and see what they've been able to do. And that's why I've been kind of curious to see how the White Sox have played. But Joe Espada makes sense in the sense that he is bilingual and understands a lot of the Latin players. And I think that that's why he would be an even better fit in Chicago because of that connection with the Latin, you know, the Latin player and understanding how to motivate them, communicate with them, and get them to play good baseball. I think that's why he's a fascinating and a very would be a very good choice for the Chicago White Sox because they're just as diverse, if not more, than the Houston Astros. I'm sold. Yeah, Tony La Russa is bilingual, though, so I guess that, that was one of the arguments when he came in was like, he can speak Spanish, he can connect, but yeah, he's just not really connecting with <laughs> much of anybody, I would say. Hey, I got a question for you guys. Some, some of the notes that I was digging on, because I'm prepping for this White Sox series between the Astros and White Sox coming up, uh, obviously, I'm, I'm super excited to get back into, uh, what do they call it now, guaranteed rate field? Is that mm -hmm. what it is? Still yep. there? Okay. Yes. So getting back into guaranteed rate, but uh, we talk about championship teams, and I know that Tim Anderson's not in the lineup, but I was a little shocked to see that the White Sox have given up 60 or unearned runs this season. Is that defense that bad, or is it, you know, what's going on with that? I'll, I'll take this one, Jim. Please. I'm surprised it's that low, <laughs> 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 to be honest with you. Uh, the White Sox at times, and... Bless Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets. Mm. And you guys have the major league experience, so you could speak from your experience. They are given an opportunity to play in the major leagues, but they are playing severely out of position. Yeah. You're asking first basemen, and they are first basemen because of their physical limitations, to go play in the corner outfield spots. No one has been worse as far as outs above average, a stat you can look up on Baseball Savant coming from StatCast than Andrew Vaughn in right field. But he's got to play right field because he hits. And the White Sox have four DH types right now on their 26-man roster. So if you want Andrew Vaughn to have at-bats, you got to put him in the outfield. And it's the same thing with Gavin Sheets. Mm -hmm. So they're really limited in the corners. A.J. Pollock is having to play center field right now because he's a better hitter than Adam Engel. But A.J. Pollock is really limited in center field. He hasn't embarrassed himself, which is great. Uh, that's that's a big thumbs up because I was really worried about going from Luis Robert to A.J. Pollock. But Pollock has done an okay job. But we have seen – and this, this – again, this harkens back to the whole Tony La Russa conversation. If you're bringing someone like Tony La Russa, we were sold with the idea that the White Sox would be – more fundamentally sound. And that really hasn't been the case. Uh, there are just some innings where they play fantastic defense, especially from Yoan Makata at third base, who has been very strong defensively. And then Makata will have a lapse. He'll have two throwing errors. And all of a sudden, the game gets out of hand. Uh, Lurie Garcia, at times, looks like he could be a competent second baseman. Other times, he struggles at the position. Without Tim Anderson at shortstop, and Tim's had his issues defensively as well, you're going to a rookie in Lenin Sosa, and he had a really rough weekend defensively at shortstop, in addition to not hitting, which is a terrible combination to stay in the major <laughs> leagues, and that's a question that we've been asking is, all right, who is next to try to fill in for Tim Anderson? 
So I'm surprised it's not more unearned runs for the White wow. Sox because this is a this is something they have to focus on in 2023. They have to get better defensively. And that first step is stop playing guys out of position just because you need their bat in the lineup. And, and what makes it even worse is that they're not hitting, like Gavin Sheets is not hitting as well to merit these starts in the outfield. You know, what's funny is, you know, Tony La Russa managed the A's when they just mashed everybody. And it's, again, it just, I, I keep, I'm going to keep going back to Tony La Russa. It stems from him. <laughs> I will say from a clubhouse standpoint and an ability standpoint, uh, we'll take Tony La Russa out of this comment. You know, it's contagious. Hitting's contagious. Defense is contagious. And you see, like you said, Mankata, who, you know, looking up his uh, his fielding percentage, having a fantastic year, he throws a couple away. Um, and now it's, you know, the pitchers are upset and they don't, you know, they're not as focused and, you know, they're not making the pitches. And then this guy boots one and that guy boots one. And you guys with 60 and runs, sounds like you've seen it all year long. And that's frustrating because we talk about good baseball being contagious, but so is bad baseball. And it's going to make that hill to climb, you know, from second place up to first and trying to clinch a division much more difficult. What, um, I mean, what is there a way out? I mean, I know you kept your optimism, Josh, but I mean, is there a way out with this? I mean, the pitching is pretty, um, pretty stout, and you got five guys you can trust at the back end. But I mean, it's really hard to forget about you know managerial mistakes and and like I said, guys throwing the ball over the uh, all over the yard. I mean, is there a way out? And what do you expect to see when you know when the Astros come into town you know tonight and then for this three game series? I mean, is this going to be a measuring stick or is this going to be something that they just want to escape with one game and then beat up the rest of the Central? Like how how do you see the rest of the year playing out? Well, for this series, I, I think what's going to be important for the White Sox is how do they strike out a team that doesn't strike out? And Jim could elaborate more on this because he brought this great stat to my attention when we recorded our latest podcast is that the Astros, it's the third fewest, right, Jim? They have the third fewest strikeout rate in Major League Baseball. Yeah, on the season, third fewest, and then in August, second fewest. Yeah, Ooh. so... You, you got a pitching staff and, and Cease and Kopech and Giolito and Lynn to an extent. They look at this defense and their mentality is we got to strike out everyone. Man, that's tough. Because uh, if we allow a fly ball, uh, got to hold your breath. And I mean, Cease and Kopech definitely have the capability of striking out 10 plus batters. But when they face Cleveland and Cleveland is just like Houston, they're really tough to strike out. Cease will come away with only four or five strikeouts, and so will Michael Kopak, and that's a lot of balls in play. And the White Sox have lost a lot of games to Cleveland this season because of defensive miscues. So in this series, we need to see, is this defense ready to be playoff caliber? And if they lose this series, we're going to point at the defense because Houston's going to continue to put the ball in play. Are they positioned correctly? Are they making the plays that they should? And something even from Sunday's game, Lance Lynn gives up what we think is a single to Javier Baez. But Baez ends up turning it into a double because there's miscommunication in the outfield between center and right field on who should field a single. It's those tiny things that yeah. great teams and great players always take advantage of. And if the White Sox don't clean up their defensive miscues, 
I think Astros fans are going to have a fun time Monday through Thursday against this White Sox team and raise some questions of what happened from last year uh, as these two teams met in the playoffs because of those defensive struggles. It may just give the Houston offense too many extra opportunities, and the Astros are such a good hitting team that you cannot give them extra outs. Yeah, I guess the when I look at series like this, you know, we, we talked earlier in the season about measuring sticks, but then as the season went on and they couldn't get any separation from 500, it became... Less about that and more like, okay, try to win the Central. And I guess the wild card's available too, but I mean, the Central's right there. They have a lot of head-to-head games, so that really takes priority. And they're two and a half games back of Cleveland. And I think when you look at series, you know, you can look at it in terms of like, oh, I hope they get a split against Houston or, you know, one game would be great. It's not expecting a win, but really it comes down to what did Cleveland do or what's Cleveland going to do? Who are they playing? Uh, what are the odds here? Just because like, if they have a bad week, that's how it feels like with the Central is like, you know, they've been hanging in all year, and I think you know everybody kind of plays towards 500. The Twins' uh, deadline moves didn't help the bullpen. Cleveland didn't really try in the offseason, so I think they're shorthanded from like a, um, yeah, I guess like a winter's worth of idleness uh, to where they didn't shore up their roster. They're doing great with what they have, but they could have done more if they thought they had more of a chance to win the Central. So the White Sox have lucked out in that regard. But I think, you know, it, it, right now with the only, you know, less than two months left in the season, you're talking about really like one bad week. Like if they go, you know, five game uh, losing streak plus a five game winning streak, all of a sudden that's a hole to dig. So really there's a lot of scoreboard watching going on right now. And if they win uh, one out of four and and Cleveland splits their four games, like that's fine. But if they like win one out of four and Cleveland sweeps, like that's all of a sudden, you know, Cleveland's uh, next on the schedule. And that series now takes on somewhat of a a desperate error, which I think is what the White Sox want to avoid. Okay, so I'm prepping for this series, and I know the Astros get to face Dylan Cease and Kopech in the same series. You already talked about you know, how magical Johnny Cueto can be, but for me watching Justin Verlander and looking at some of the per- peripherals and understanding that his numbers are better than his 2011 season, which was 11 years ago when he won the Cy Young and MVP in the same season. Dylan Cease has really emerged as the competition. I think McClanahan's kind of backed off a little bit with the Tampa Bay Rays, but Dylan Cease finishing as strong as he's as it looks like he's going to finish is going to be a lot of fun to watch that Cy Young race. But give me a scouting report, one, one of you or both of you, on Dylan Cease. I, I think Cease is really, uh, his strength has been his slider and just trusting it more and more and yeah, you know, a little bit of like a Lance McCullers situation where all of a sudden, Ooh. like the curveball was like, okay, we're just going to throw the curveball. It's my best pitch. I'm going to lean on it, you know, uh, way more than anybody else does and kind of break conventional wisdom. And I think C says followed that game plan with a slider, maybe not as, uh, you know, I guess as severely as McCullers did because that was a postseason yeah. game that was just putting it all on the table. You know, they, they, he has a season and, you know, uh, times through the order to go. So he has to set up hitters a little bit, but it's something like that. Just the slider has been his best pitch and you realize like, well, I'm throwing it, you know, 30% of the time, 40% of the time, 50% of the time, nobody's hitting it. You know, they're you know, following it off at best. So may as well just keep doing it. And the fastball is more of a secondary pitch. And he's got a curveball that he likes to mix in too. The changeup is a little bit of a show me pitch, but really it's just the slider is doing all the damage. And it's, uh, you know, when he started this streak of, of now 14, uh, 
starts with one or fewer uh, earned runs, like you mm. know, historic stretch. Like he had a lot of unearned runs. Like he was part of that unearned run uh, binge early in the season, where you know he had a uh, yeah. I think he's up to five ten now. In, yeah, yeah. He had to record five outs in an inning and couldn't do it. Uh, couldn't close the door and the game <laughs> That's got a lot away to ask. Him. Yeah, uh, but now I think you know that hasn't been a problem. I think early June was the last time he had that kind of. So these are real, uh, you know, runs we're talking about before entering, and not just kind of a, a goose stat from a uh, uh, you know <laughs> weird scoring. So it's really been impressive, and I, I think you know the the walk rate is the one thing separating him from Verlander. Like he walks more guys than Verlander does, but that's also I think more of a a vestige from earlier in the season when he was still learning exactly how to manage the slider since mm-hmm. like, I would say, yeah, mid June, the walks have eased up. He's had fewer of those innings where everything ends up in the left-handed batter's box. And he's really gotten good at correcting uh, what's going wrong. Like maybe his command problems last for like a batter at a time versus like three or four nice. batters hope to get to the dugout and then uh, recalibrate there. And Jeff, he's so, yeah, he's so stoic too. Like this is going to be a big time matchup and Justin, Justin's been here, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Jim and I made the comment in our show, 2014, it was Verlander versus Sale. We're still having this conversation in 2022. It's Verlander versus this time. And it's such an impressive hall of fame career that Justin Verlander has. And, you know, we are hyping this up because this is a big game, especially for a young pitcher like Dylan Cease. But for Cease, you can never tell any emotion from him. Even if he's in a jam and there's runners on first and second with nobody out, he's very calm. He's very focused. And what's different about him in 2022 than 2020 and 2021 is that he is not getting unraveled in these jam situations. And he does lean on the slider. And he has recently found a 99, if not 100 mile per hour fastball. And his last start, Cease threw 100, and he threw a 91-mile-per-hour slider. And he's got that in the tank, kind of taking a lesson from Carlos Rodon, which Mm -hmm. Rodon last year became his own reliever, being able to hit 98, 99, the sixth and seventh innings of starts. Cease is discovering that type of untapped velocity late in games. So if this is a tight game, and we're expecting it to be a tight game, and this is the third time through the order – Altuve, Bregman, Tucker, Alvarez, they may see another level of velocity they did not see the first time, first two times they faced Cease in that game. And the same thing is for Michael Kopech as well, who's the following night. If Kopech's hitting 97 in the first inning, it could be a tougher night for Houston hitters than they were expecting. When Kopech was struggling this season, he was living 94, 95, a bit of a dead arm period. But if he is consistently 96 and a half or higher on the velocity, his fastball is sneaking up on hitters, especially up in the zone. His slider is not as good as Dylan ceases, but it can be effective in that type of situation where you're preparing for 97, 98. And here's this 88 mile per hour slider that drops off the corner of the plate. And he racked up 11 strikeouts against the Detroit Tigers and went six no hit innings against them in his last start. So Kopech can be just as devastating, but that's more paying attention how his four-seam fastball velocity is. But with Dylan Cease, it just doesn't seem to unfaze this year that he's got ice water in his veins. And I can't wait because it just makes me happy when you get to see someone like Justin Verlander still perform 
that he's still this giant. He's still like this Titan that White Sox starting pitchers have to go up against after all these years. And we always think that Chris Sale was definitely the most talented starting pitcher in White Sox franchise history. And now here's Dylan Cease's opportunity to take on Justin Verlander head to head in a very tight Scion race like we saw in the mid uh, in like 2014 and 2015. Yeah, the cool thing about Cease in that last start was, uh, you know, Josh mentioned the velocity increasing. I hadn't really seen that from him. And it seemed like when he gave up a run in the second inning, he realized like, that's the run I can give up. That's the one mistake I can make. It's on me, you know, through six. And the fastball velocity jumped. Uh, he was really riding it high in the zone. The slider, he was basically a fastball slider, and the fastball was uh, gained a couple ticks. So that's something we hadn't seen. Um, usually the fastball is pretty steady, and the slider is what varies in both tilt and velocity and, and location. But the fastball, he really seemed to tap into like an inner intensity, which we hadn't seen. And you know, maybe this is him feeling like, well, uh, I'm the guy now. Like this is I'm the stopper in the rotation. You know, with uh, you know how you know rough the offense has been, uh, it's on me. And, and that was a, a cool mode to see. No, I think it's a lot of fun. And all the stuff that you're talking about, I hear about the velocity and I hear about 91 mile an hour sliders. I start thinking about very DeGromish type stuff. And, you know, that stuff can be wipe out. And I also love the fact that you start to hear about guys becoming the guy in that rotation where the expectation is I'm going to be the stopper or I'm going to start the new streak or I'm going to go out there and beat a guy like Justin Verlander. And uh, it's just crazy to me that uh, Justin Verlander is as good as he is at this point in his career after Tommy John surgery. I look forward to it. It's going to be the second game of that series uh, between the White Sox and the Astros. Um, I can't thank you guys enough for coming on here. Um, I thought I knew enough about the White Sox, but I do believe I'm a little bit smarter about the whole situation. So I look forward to the broadcast when I get on there. But uh, always fun to connect with other White Sox faithful because I think that the South Side in Chicago, and you guys can probably speak to this a little bit too if you want to, is that you are that stepbrother in this city no matter how good you play. But I do kind of like being that that team that uh, is expected to win, expected to play hard, kind of that dirty, gritty type uh reputation on the south side i enjoyed it when i played there um i can't stand the cubs i loved playing for the cubs you guys are playing against the cubs i should say and you guys will love this story because you know bob brenly broadcasted for a while with the chicago cubs and i first got this job in 2013 and i think we went through arizona in 2014 right around the time that brenly started to get the job with the diamondbacks again and he saw me in the hallway and he goes bummer and I said, Bren, what's up? And he's like, he goes, what are you doing now? And I said, I'm broadcasting for the Astros. He goes, thank effing God. He goes, I got sick and tired of your ass coming through <laughs> Chicago and beating up on us. So I took a lot of pride in beating up on the Cubs. But uh, <laughs> it's good connecting with you guys. And I know that you guys enjoy watching the White Sox, man. Yeah, I have one question for you. I know this, this might upset your uh, the, the Astros contingent, but when it comes to like going back to Chicago, going back to uh, you know guaranteed rate field, um, what's that like for you? It is it is one of the greatest pleasures because you know as great a city as Houston is and it has been to me, Chicago is probably you know one of the if you add, if you polled players across the league and said which city would you want to live in. I mean, would live in or win a championship in, I would imagine Chicago would be at one of the top uh, top positions to be in to win a championship. And when I knew it was it was going to be awesome, but I didn't realize how awesome it was going to be until we got on the double-decker bus and went down LaSalle. 
And I saw millions of people come out for that. But uh, I will always be eternally grateful for the city of Chicago. And a quick example of how great it was to win a championship here is that I was staying at a high-rise condo near Millennium Park, near the Fairmont, and there was a Starbucks that I would go to every day, get my coffee, my Americano with a couple of, you know, packets of honey in it. And it would just be, it would be Jeff with a J, it would be George, it would be Johnny, it would never be my name. <laughs> we win the World Series, we come back, and I'm here for a week after the season, kind of packing things up, the parade and all the festivities, enjoying all of that. And I go down to that same Starbucks. I put in my order. They didn't ask me for my name. And by the time I picked up my coffee, it said G-E-O-F-F on it. And that's when I knew I'd arrived in Chicago when they started to spell my name on the Starbucks cup. So uh, this city has been fantastic. But you still had to pay for the coffee. That's unfortunate. They got you your name in, right, you but are they incorrect. charged you five bucks for it. You are incorrect. I actually got that cup of coffee for free and they I'm hooked me kidding. up. But uh, you know, it, coming back here is always great because when you, when you go underneath of guaranteed rate, uh, field and you start to see some of the ushers, you start to see some of the security guards that are still around after 17 years and their eyes light up and you perk up and you remember some of the memories and some of the times of coming onto that field and, and seeing, you know, the sod father on the field and talking to him about the field and you start to see some of the front office. That's when it really comes back and you realize that you were in someplace special when you won a championship. But a lot of the security is still there. A lot of the ushers are still there. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to connect with uh, them, obviously. I feel less bad about this, you know, knowing that the Astros have won and that you're in a great position to do it again. If, if you're still searching for that first ring, I might have withheld that question for off air. <laughs> no, that was one of the things. <laughs> this is, uh, one of the things that I talked to AJ Hinch when they were going on their run in 17 and you realized how good that team was, I kind of pulled him off the side. I've got a great relationship with AJ and I just kind of looked at him and I said, hey, man, I know you want to win this for you but you'd be doing me a huge solid if you were able to pull this off and win this championship with me in the booth, man, because it would alleviate a lot of pressure from 05. But the Astro fans have been fantastic to me, much like the Chicago White Sox fans have been phenomenal to me. So it's, it's a unique dynamic that I'm not sure you know, how many people or how many cities would be able to pull it off. But uh, I'm eternally grateful for Chicago, but at the same time, I limit the conversation about 05. Hey, I'll just leave it at this. Thanks for coming on our podcast, guys. I really appreciate it. I am keeping you in my thoughts and prayers to get a manager who uh, is up to snuff with the roster. And I'm sorry Tuttle, that that's Tuttle my focus. Hates Russa, man. I well, apparently I do. I, well, there's a couple guys we don't like. I just, you know, I know Rick Hahn fairly well, and all I want to say is I really feel like he's the weight. And I know it. You know, you guys articulated that during this podcast, and so um, you know. Maybe this isn't their year, but next year could be the year. But you just don't want those windows are small. Blum will tell yeah. you those windows are small and their roster is strong. And, you know, if they're healthy with Anderson and Jimenez and, um, you know, Abreu, I mean, you know, and the pitching starts to catch fire. It's a mental game. It's a it's a game of streaks, as you guys know. And you're just hoping that, you know, that stuff doesn't pass you by. Yeah, really appreciate you guys having having uh, or coming on to our podcast, and we appreciate. Hopefully, you use this audio for your podcast too. But uh, pump your podcast and tell everybody where they can find you and what the name of the podcast is, man. Yeah, you can subscribe to our show, The Sox Machine Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple Music and Spotify. We write every single day on SoxMachine.com. Jim does. He does that full time. We'll do some videos here and there, and you can follow us on Twitter at SoxMachine, and you can follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. Nice. You got a new fan here. 
Yeah, definitely. You guys are great, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having us. Really a pleasure. Thank you. I tell you what, it was a lot of fun to talk to those guys. I'm looking forward to this series. It obviously has much more importance to the White Sox considering their American League central position and what they want to do moving forward. Dylan Cease has turned himself into a beast. But Tuttle, man, you got to peel off that scab of Tony LaRusa and get after it. Hey, you told me to take the governor off. I don't know what the hell got I into like me. it, man. I, that's know? what I'm talking about. Yeah, but I I sincerely believe that that's what's holding that team back. I don't know why I can't get off that point. You, somebody, but you can't somebody, argue it either, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. When somebody makes mm-hmm. an argument, I'm not. I'm not. I'm a scientist, man. I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not a like believer in all this stuff. I'm a scientist. Like you have to prove <laughs> to me, right? I feel like my point is being proven. The statistics show that you know he's not so analytical. Yes, there have been some things that uh, you know raise eyebrows, but I, you know, you and I both know this game is a grind. It's very mental. You need a lot of positivity in that clubhouse. And you know what those guys mentioned about the you know you you asked a great question about the number of errors and the unearned runs. I mean, I'm a pitcher. You hit me right in the gut with that thing. Yeah. Sixty unearned runs. How can the pitchers not hate the? the situation i mean you know and they're dealing so anyway yeah i i you know you got to get me off that subject but i you know i took the governor <laughs> off and we'll see we'll see how it goes but those guys were great to come on the socks machine podcast uh you know maybe they'll have us on one of these days but uh they've got new fans here because uh those guys you know they know their stuff and uh they're definitely diehard fans unfortunately because <laughs> i don't think this is gonna, <laughs> going through it i don't think this is going to be the year yeah, it, well, it, it, actually, you kind of sense that by talking to them, too, but uh, they are very good. I love that the numbers that they bring up, uh, yeah, that's the number that jumped out to me is those 60 unearned runs because it's one thing to ask your pitcher to go out there and grind for you, but if they've got to get four and five outs every single inning, that's obviously the pitch count gets killed, uh, taxes the arm, and obviously it taxes the mentality and uh, you know the emotion of pitch, pitching in a big league game. But uh, we talked about Fernando Tatis cheating. It, Taking a PED and being suspended for it is cheating, so I hope they boo their brains out on him. But there was a lot of controversy around the Astros, obviously, with the sign-stealing scandal. We've never denied that uh, they didn't do it or it wasn't wrong. It was, but there was a lot of blasphemy out there about uh, and and, and uh, hyperbole about buzzers, and there were no buzzers found. And we just saw something in the last week that absolutely I don't should it blow my mind? It did blow my mind, but should it? Because we are we are living in a modern technological world. But there was a player for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and give me a chance to look up his name real quick. I just did. I got you. Rodolfo Rodolfo Castro. There you go. So Castro is is tearing around the base paths, head first slide into third base, and the, watching the this this replay unfold is is incredible. If you get a chance, watch it because Castro dives into third base, and you see out of his left pocket something that resembles a phone, phone come flying out. And all of a sudden, you see the the third base umpire kind of look down like, "Is that a, that's a phone. Why is there a phone on the field? And he looked at the runner. He's like, hey, dude, is that your phone? And sure enough, <laughs> Castro's cell phone comes flying out of his pocket. Number one, how the hell does it get there? Number two, why in the hell was it there? And number three, how the hell did he have his phone on him again during a baseball game? 
Those are all questions that I don't know if we know the answer to. <laughs> My favorite, and you know, you catch these things after you're not watching every game all the time, was the umpire's face, which was great. That, that like, got me too. I was like, he what? was like, is that your cell phone? <laughs> and then after they cut to him, like he's kind of like got that befuddled look. I think you brought up a point earlier when we touched on this in the um, What's on Tap brought to you by St. Arnold is that that's against the CBA. And that's what you were saying. They raised a big stink now. Against this. I have a feeling that. This is his first big league series or first big league game. I have a feeling, you know, I go to Disneyland on occasion and you see these people like mom, enamored mom I'm on first base. Is, yeah. I mean, I don't know if he was going to call her, but I think standing on the base with a, uh, he was going to take a panorama of the stadium while he was out there. <laughs> this like, is my view. He's going to FaceTime while he's running yeah, around. Face time. So, so I do think the answer or the reasoning is probably pretty innocuous, but I, uh, you know, like you said, there's some ramifications that could come from that. And we have talked on this podcast about kangaroo court. I mean, that <laughs> this is, is going to be the biggest fine ever. Big kangaroo court offense. He has no, no recourse whatsoever whatsoever in that in that uh court of opinion so i don't know i mean you you and i kind of we were before cell phones I, that's what i like to say i got a cell phone after college so yeah, that's the new I mean, uh, bc yeah there was BCT. no tempt yeah that's right but there was no there was no temptation to like take your phone you didn't have photos it was like you I was gonna say i'd have to take my pager someone. and get start running and you know exactly your pager. So so tell me, I mean, what what have you heard about it, if anything? I mean, we did just look up his name, Rodolfo Castro. It's his first series or his first game with the Pirates. He just got called up. I mean, was he on the phone and they made him pinch run? I don't or know. What, I mean, yeah, you I need shouldn't to even have your phone in the clubhouse. I, Lock it in your locker, and, dude. Yeah, gosh. So yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't followed up on it. I was just uh, astonished. That it didn't, uh, you know, if it was, man, if it was somebody on the Red Sox, Yankees, obviously some of the bigger Ooh. teams, it's going to be, you know, catastrophic news and they probably would be more punishment. But I think that him being on the Pittsburgh Pirates, it was kind of like, man, this poor kid's playing for the Pirates. We got to take it easy on him. But lesson learned, I, I, I'm with you in the sense that maybe it won't be as publicized some of the consequences for doing that because you can get suspended for having technology on you, obviously because of the CBA and because of the rules. But I think to your point, I think is the better point is internally. I think Derek Shelton's the manager over there. So Shelton's going to have to do a little bit of you know work inside, underneath, behind the scenes that's going to be like... <laughs> Son, we like you as a player, but I have no no idea why in God's name you would have your cell phone on you as you're going to the plate and running around the bases. We need to clean that up a little bit because we don't need that kind of attention, you know. So I think it's more internal than it will be external as far as public publicized uh, stuff like that. But maybe we should dig and give an update next podcast. Here, here, I'm reading right now. So to make this oh, situation nice. worse for Castro, he'd just been called up from AAA Indianapolis right before the game. In his post-game press conference, Castro explained through an interpreter that he mistakenly left the phone in his pocket before taking the field. I don't think there's any professional ball player that would ever go out there with the intentions of taking a cell phone, Castro said via ESPN. It's horrible it happened to me. Obviously, it was unintentional. So there you go. I mean, Good I believe answer. him. 
I believe him. Yeah. But dude, you, dude, you, you, when you showed, okay, when you showed up to a clubhouse, when you got ready for a game, you had a lockbox or you had a secret Man. spot where you were putting your keys. Your, Man. you didn't have a cell phone like we said. We didn't play during the cell phone yeah. hour, but you had a place to put your wallet, your keys. And when I played, you know, I did play long enough to have a cell phone, but so I put it in my lockbox. You know, I had it available until I went on the field, and then I put it in the lockbox. But I wasn't like when you physically got ready for the game, there were certain things that you had on your person when you pitched or when you played, you know, I had put my batting gloves in my back pocket. I grabbed a couple of bats. I took out the glove I needed for the position I was playing and I put on my hat. I didn't have the idea. Oh man, I got to put my, where's my cell phone. I got to put where, you know, I feel like I had to put this in my pocket. I mean, how was that a reaction? Or am I just totally outdated and missing something? I don't know. You know, I did have a cell phone, but it didn't have, you know, we didn't have the world in our pocket with it. Yeah, you didn't go out to the dugout and play snake on it, you know. But is it, am I misremembering (laughs) things, which has been known before? He didn't play snake on it. It's right, Tetris. (laughs) Um, Did you, uh, isn't there a naked gun scene where he's like frisking the pitcher? Isn't that right? Like where. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, is so that what it's going to come to now? We're going to have to yeah, frisk gonna, these guys like, before you got they gum play. and seeds, and oh yeah, he's got like WD forty and like pitcher, all the. This is such yeah. a pitcher thing to say. Now they're checking hands and gloves, and now you're like, yeah, yeah got to pat yeah. down the hitters. So he's going to like pull his hands. Out. He's got cell It'll phone. Be a TSA he's got some flowers. Deck circle. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it might as well, right? You know, you can't have your phone out there. Friggin' pitchers. Hey, come on. That's what happened. The guy's not a pitcher. Castro's not a pitcher. I know, but look at you. You're a pitcher wanting guys to get patted down now. That's Yeah. Come on. The pitchers got patted down all the time. You're going to, they're going to, they're going to hire an employee, a major league baseball employee, just like the guy that works the humidor (laughs) room. And they're going to have another dude standing by the on deck circle. And he's going to, he's going to look a lot like uh, Leslie Nielsen. And he's going to be like, giving him a pat bat down all right no cell phone you're good to go go up to the bat to and go. face justin verlander thank you yeah speaking of cell phones we're going to finish this podcast with all something right. that happened on my wife's uh instagram story she's always <laughs> selling me out which which i mean it is Ooh. what it is so nowadays she well she 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 playfully sells me out she does a okay. very good job right. uh but uh i do have issues i mean let's be honest but uh okay. in my truck when I get in my truck and I plug in my phone, it it goes right to whatever I was playing last, wherever it's a podcast or a playlist or whatever it is. But this time I didn't actually plug in my cell phone. I just got into the car and I actually I think I had uh, it might th- I had to get away from XM Lithium for obvious reasons. If you've been listening to this podcast for the last three years, you know that I I got in a scuffle with XM Lithium R-E-M. or Sirius XM. Yeah, when they're playing REM and Lenny freaking Kravitz, oh, that's alternative. I'm like, dude, it sucks. And it just ruins it when you go from Nirvana to one of those bands. Anyways, that's peeling off that scab. But I'm listening to XM Turbo because they've actually done a very good job of having some more updated hard rock and and actually sticking to a theme and being respectable in what they play. And it just so happened that Slipknot, (laughs) the band Slipknot, happened to be on the radio. And my wife got in the car and she's like, oh my God, what are you listening to? And she kind of freaked out a little bit. We She recorded it, put it on her Instagram. We had some fun with it. But uh, I have a tendency to to lean towards the edgier, louder, angrier rock when I'm in my car. But, you know, she's judging me, man. Do you have issues with that between you and your wife and uh, listening preference? It's your car. Mr. Blum, <gasps> when do you get privacy? You have five women in your house. When do you ever get the freedom is to listen up. to that You're music? my boy. 
You're my well, boy, bro. Hey, this is no, you and I are yes. similar. This is why we're friends anyway. But the music, I when I go to the gym, <laughs> one of in the, the many morning, reasons. Like even yeah, one of the many. But but even driving to the gym, it's like I got to put on something. I don't want to talk. You know, I, I'm just quiet. It's like dark. I just you know, I'll get the. It is a little different when there's like Slipknot, Mudvayne. There's a where they go through mm. this little. I'm like, that's ah, a little like when I can't get the voice and then they might play a little tool, a little rage against the machine. I'm like, all right, I can Ooh. handle this. But yeah. they go down. So, you know, every once in a while, there's like a three song. There's a dark hole where, where they go all of a sudden. Yeah. Like, it's like Slipknot, Mudvayne and something else like Disturbed. And I'm like, all right, that's a little even hard for me. But hey, it's my car. It's freedom. I do think what I brought to light and what I thought was funny about uh, your wife mentioning it is like, you know, I mean. Bill Burr has a really good rant on. It's like he said he would go to therapy. <laughs> he would go to therapy just to clean up his anger issues because then his wife would have nothing to complain about. That was kind of his, that was the theme of it. It's kind of like, <laughs> look, I got lots of issues. There are a lot of things you yes. can pick on me about. I'm totally fine with it. I mean, my wife's been pointing them out for 20 years. I'm like, I get it, honey. I get it. I'm working on some of them, some not so much. But, but, my car it's my car it's my radio you know i pay the xm subscription still you know i mean every once in a while i might listen to some music that you may not like so i mean i'm with you man we're 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 in lockstep about that i thought it was really nice that Corey actually pointed out because it is funny and you know the volume sometimes you don't realize how loud the volume is and then you fire up the car and you're like whoa it startles me too i was gonna say i've even done that the next morning where i'll drive home after a game and for whatever reason i got caught into a you know that that rabbit hole of of heavy metal and all of a sudden you wake up the next day and you're like holy good lord yeah well it keeps you awake you know it's midnight 12 30 coming home from the ballpark like i just gotta Mm -hmm. make it this you know and then yeah yeah, a little startling (laughs) at 7 a.m but that's all right Anyway, it's that's all, all I got. Yeah, Blum, we're 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 locked and loaded on that little uh, little turbo keeps us away from REM and Lenny Kravitz and some of the other stuff they put on there. I go classic now more than that. I'll go to mm-hmm. twenty five classic rewind. Like if I want yeah, to listen classic to something good, good, that's really good. So it's between. I just I got lithium off the playlist. I listen to alternative. Yeah, I skip over it too. What is that? Thirty six alt nation. A little turbo. Mm-hmm. And a little, uh, little well, the hair nation's rewind. good too. If you really want to go back to like high school days, yeah, they play a little too much winger for me, man. Yeah, winger I'm not a and docking, but yeah. you know, again, take the good with the bad. I'll, I'll, t- I'll take a rat song or a white snake song at any any time I can oh, get man. it. Maybe I, even I start a little to poison. remember that prom in '89, and you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I, hey, old. you make fun of it. I'm a little older than you. You. You were in the Bay Area. I, I didn't. I never drove in the back of a pickup truck with a keg going to see Poison in ACDC. I never did that. I'm not going to say I at have the Cow Palace. At the Cow oh, Palace, man. Dude. We were going to All Irvine right. Irvine Meadows down there in uh, in Southern California. It doesn't even exist anymore. No, it they does blew not. Blew that place up. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, that's yeah. a good place to blow up this podcast. I really appreciate yeah. you guys listening as always. Um, we had a great guest, the Sox Machine Podcast, getting ready for your White Sox Astros series. Uh, don't forget to check us out, bleacherblums.com. We have some short hops on YouTube, also at Bleacher Blums channel. Our producer does a great job of putting some fun stuff up there. Blummer, you can hear him every night on television, but at Blummer27, if you want to get him on Instagram and Twitter, myself, David Tuttle, at Real David Tuttle. And um, we want to give a shout out, as always, to our uh, 
freedom-loving folks here in America and the people that provide that freedom. We have our soldiers abroad, both near and far, uh, first responders, healthcare workers, the teachers that we've shouted out all summer long have now got to go back to work. Going back. Um, yeah, going back to work. But we really appreciate everything you guys do for us and you know, give us the chance to riff and have some fun here on the podcast. Um, lastly, if you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. Blum, you want to take us out of here in Chicago? Let's do it. Get after it and believe it. Uh, oh, and Bleacher Blum's on TikTok. I'm not a TikTok person. I think they can find it. If they get BleacherBlums.com and Bleacher Blum's on Short Hop. I'm sensing and- a theme.